Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Nope, that guy didn't tell you the truth, at least not today, because obviously I'm not Todd Friel. Nope, this is Jimmy Hicks, but this is still Wretched Radio. It's a Witness Wednesday, as always here at Wretched, and today Todd is actually on campus. He's at Kennesaw State University, and we are going to have the opportunity to do a little eavesdropping on some conversations he's hopefully going to be having with students. So let's get to the witnessing now. Todd, it's all yours. You're on. With Stephen, the journalist slash reporter who is now going to give me a report. Stephen, are you ready? We're going to take a look at this slogan that is on this huge monument that you walk by every day. Have you ever read this thing? I have not, which is a shame. Do you know how much they spent for this monument for you to just walk by it? Yeah, I'm ashamed of that. No, I want you you to take this like it's a test because I'm going to quiz you on this. We're We're going to walk around this thing and read the worldview that is represented here. All right, here it is. We travel together passengers on a little spaceship dependent turn the corner dependent on its vulnerable reserves of air and soil all of us committed for our turn the corner safety to its security and peace preserved from annihilation only by the care the work and the love we give our fragile craft Stephen, give me a summary of what that just said. Um, so it's essentially discussing the vulnerability of the world and how essentially us as people need to be treating it as a craft and committing ourselves to the preservation of the planet and ensuring its survival and is maintained. I agree. That was a good summary. Let me tell you what I think the worldview is behind this. And I don't know if you read the little note that's on the bottom. This is dedicated to somebody who is an environmentalist. Though, but I didn't read it all the way through. Okay. So I think this is an ode to environmentalism. And I would like to try to make the case with you. This is actually a religion that is being represented here. Interesting. Okay. I'd like to hear your perspective on that. The elements of a religion would be worshipers. There would be some sort of religious figures or hierarchy. There would also be some rules. There would tend to be a creation story, some, an origin story. There would have to be something that deals with the issue of redemption, forgiveness for whatever the crimes are that we've committed. That is what I think typically makes up what we would call a religion. Fair enough? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Do you think I'm, I could be missing something? Do you think I am? Uh, no. Yeah, I think you covered most of the bases, at least the way that I, the way that I see it. So here's what I think. I think the God of environmentalism is the planet. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, there it is. The mother is the object of our affection that we are to be serving through our craft. Okay, so there's the deity of environmentalism, Mother Earth, if you will. Okay. The origin story would be Big Bang Boom. Somehow we got here and now we exist. Probably an evolutionary worldview, but that would be the origin story. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That, that would be their creation tale. Fair enough? Yeah, I agree. So far. Do you think that there are any rules in the religion of environmentalism 
that are wrong for you to break? What are the laws, the commandments of the environmental system? That is a very tough question, um, especially because I'm just now thinking of environmentalism as a religion. I, I, that had never crossed my mind. That's- I'm going to sin right in front of you. Okay, all right. Sure. <laughs> Here we go. Boom. And I'm just going to leave that there. I was thinking of that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Obviously, like pollution in general would probably be one of the things. So air pollution, polluting the water systems. I agree. Uh, maybe cutting down trees indiscriminately. Maybe uh, changing the landscape, which affects the life of a sea slug or some animal. And then um, even ki- like hunting animals without sure. actually... Um, eating them and cooking them, just hunting them for sport. Essentially, yeah. I think that would be another. Well, some, some environmentalists might say not even for sport, because you basically, you are just lucky flotsam that advanced to the state you're in and you can't kill another animal. So uh, eat a plant. But even then, some of them would say even plants cry. So it's a little bit tricky, but pretty much consuming anything on the planet can be a crime to some. All right. So that's the, the violating of their rules and standards. In environmentalism, can you imagine what is their system of redemption? How do you get your crimes against the mother paid for? Really working actively towards the preservation of the planet. So reducing your carbon footprint, recycling, all of the things like that 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 we've been preached to do, but a lot of people really don't think about all of the time. You know, limiting your litter, limiting your waste, all of that, I think, would be... That's 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 pretty good list actually. I I might add to it carbon credits. Mm-hmm. So if you've done something naughty, you know you burned a car fuel or something like that, you can plant a tree in Brazil, and that makes up. It somehow balances the scales for you. So there's some sort of way to get your your sins forgiven, if you will. All right, religious figures hierarchy. Are there any in the religion of environmentalism? Not that immediately come to my mind. I mean, I'm sure if you thought about it from an abstract perspective, you could create some based off of just what we've discussed so far, and this is my first time ever even thinking about it in the scope, I would say um, I can't think of any. Al Gore. I don't know a ton about Al Gore. Like, I I was really, really young when he was, like, a really, really prevalent... Uh, he was a politician, if I'm not... Leonardo DiCaprio. What has he done for the environment? Well, they're, they're, they're kind of the high priests. They're the ones who tell you how to live. They're the ones who tell you how to behave. They're the ones who scold you when you do wrong. They're the ones who come up with plans to make this better. So I would say they're sort of like religious people because they have influence and power and authority over a group of people that follow their system. My rebuttal to that would be, though, how much do we know that they are actively, like, I know that they preach the the gospel, but how actively are they in participating in it? That That's an interesting question because I would suggest to you they're kind of hypocritical because they tell you to live one way, but they've got yachts and mansions and their carbon footprint is massive. But that can be like religious people who are hypocritical, too. They tell you to live one way, not another. So the only thing that I think is missing from the environmental story that's more like a religion is some sort of afterlife, some sort of eternal life, because environmentalism basically says you're going into the mother to the mother you return and you're just going to become worm food. I think that's about it. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, some people would maybe say that, yeah, once you go, you're buried in the soil, you eventually you replenish the soil and then you, that's your, that's your place in the world. Is environmentalism a religion because it has all the features, but is it a religion that is reliable and true? 
Mm, ah, that's a very tough question. Um, I would say you could convince a lot of people to cling on to environmentalism as a religion. I myself, I'm not so convinced just based on my interpretation of religion as a whole. Um, but I would say, yeah, I'd say if you talk to the right person and use the right vernacular, you could convince anyone. Yeah. I, sure. I, I know you could convince everyone because you can start a cult and do that. But the my question was more specific. This is a worldview represented here by a family that clearly believes in it. My question is, is that family wrong? No, I wouldn't say they're wrong. Why? I mean, we, we all live based off of our experiences. Um, we're products of our environment. And this is the perspective that they ended up coming up with. So I wouldn't say that it's wrong. I mean, and in a lot of ways, from its basic principle and from a morality standpoint, it's probably a good way to live your life, I'd say, personally. Let me tell you one of the reasons I actually like you. You are different than a lot of students, especially when we go to tech schools. You, you, you're, you're, you're thinking and willing to like receive new ideas. I, you're more of a liberal arts kind of guy. <laughs> you, you are, and I, I appreciate that. So let me share something with you, and you tell me what you think of this. A lesson in philosophy. Let's go back 2,000 years. Now, this is, whether you believe it or not, the system, not the point. This is just an observation of historical realities. From about the time of zero on our calendar, that was called the pre-modern era, where people basically believed God exists and he dictates the terms of our existence. And so if the Bible says it, for instance, in Western civilization, that's the end of the debate. Truth comes from on high. That changed around the 1400s. We entered into the age of reason, the, the, the age of empiricism, where the scientific model and method began to rule. So we had to be able to test it, observe it, repeat it. And we human beings could basically dictate the terms why things exist and how we are to live. So we went from the pre-modern to the modern era. Fast forward to the 1900s, the 20th century, World Wars I and II took millions of lives. And we started to realize, yikes, maybe we human beings don't have this figured out. Maybe we aren't the end-all, be-all. And so we entered into something called the post-modern age, thanks to philosophers in France like Jacques Derrida, uh, Michel Foucault, Postmodernism is the idea that truth really isn't knowable objectively, but truth is more of a subjective experience. So if Stephen's truth is Stephen's truth, my truth is my truth, they might totally contradict one another, but they're both true to them. That's the postmodern era. Do you think that you are a premodern, a modern, or a postmodern? Not yet, not yet. Before we hear Stephen's answer, gotta take a quick break, but we will be back really quick. I promise it will be quick. We'll send it right back out to Todd at Kennesaw State University next on Wretched Radio. Not that we normally quote Joseph Stalin on Wretched. Nevertheless, he rightly said the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. We have to be so careful that our Christian hearts don't grow cold when we hear the statistic that one million babies die every year from abortions. We need to remember that is one baby at a time. That is one mommy. That is one child. That is even one 
daddy. My choice to become a mom and hear those little footsteps running down the hallway every morning is all because I had an ultrasound. It saved my life and hers. Ultrasounds save lives one baby at a time. How many ultrasounds could you provide through preborn.org slash wretched for just $28 per ultrasound? Please help save one baby at a time. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Get ready because we are finally less than a month away from the debut of Transformed, our latest TV offering, which will be like nothing else seen on Christian TV. With Transformed, you will be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions that tackle issues like anxiety, OCD, depression, phobias, and trauma. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions. You won't see a secular counseling session offering band-aids like medication or years of weekly visits, but you will see a biblical counselor providing biblical solutions that will help to solve a person's issues with the Bible. Biblical counseling is the only counseling that can provide real hope and help a person go from brokenness to wholeness. Hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford, an assistant professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, and Dale Johnson, the executive director of the Association of Biblical Counselors. Transformed, coming April 1st. And now, a story from Dr. John MacArthur. When I began preaching many years ago, expositional messages, they started circulating the earth on cassette tape. Pretty soon, I started getting invitations from places all around the world to preach there. And people said, we haven't heard preaching like this. Can you teach us how? And eventually, they would say, can you stay and start a school and train our pastors? And now it's developed into maybe 35 different places where the graduates of the Master Seminary have now set up training schools to train pastors around the world. And it's expanding to the point where I think we have 50 cities waiting for us to come and do the same thing there. Specifically waiting for you to consider adopting a seminary overseas. Master seminary graduates equipping men to fill pulpits and rightly divide the word of truth. It's a magnificent ministry. Encourage you to learn more and consider supporting the Master's Academy International at wretched.org slash pastor. Important dates in Christian history. 590 AD. Gregory becomes Pope Gregory I, known as the Great. He made treaties with Germanic tribes, independent of the emperor, and declared the Bishop of Rome's primacy over the whole church, increasing the political and spiritual power of the papacy significantly. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back here at Wretched Radio. It's a Witness Wednesday. I'm Jimmy Hicks, of course, in the studio. And Todd, out on campus right now at Kennesaw State University, where he's been talking to a young man named Stephen. Todd? Okay. Stephen, do you think that you are a pre-modern, a modern, or a post-modern? Certainly a post-modern, absolutely. Um... Because like I said before, I feel like every individual is a product of their environment, their perspective, um, the things that they were exposed to. So, yeah, absolutely. I think I'd be more of a postmodern. Would you be kind enough to be really liberal artsy for a moment? And let me try to persuade you to become a pre-modern. Sure. All right. I believe that that is a great big giant bowling ball that is used by the great God of the universe. Uh, Blachnain, 
Blucknane is a pink elephant with yellow polka dots who is actually trampling around the universe and occasionally stops by to use this as a bowling ball to set up human beings as pins and knock them over. And I believe that if I bowl seven times right before I die, I'm going to spend eternity with Bluckfarb or whatever his name is that I gave to him, bowling for all of eternity here at Kennesaw State University. Stephen, am I wrong? <laughs> um, I come on. I mean, come on, going through intuition on this. Yeah, yeah, I'd say you're Not wrong. I don't think that's a thing. congratulations. You're no longer pre, pre postmodern. Did you know that? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, because my belief does not make reality so. Even if I really believe in Blucknane or Bluckfarb or whoever it is, I, it, it, no matter how hard I believe it, it just doesn't make it so. The question then is, what belief system, if any, is true? Because they can't all be true because they all tend to contradict each other in pretty significant ways. So the question that I think that is in front of us, and as a journalist, you might appreciate this, would be to investigate which world system has the best explanation for reality as we know it. And there's a few of them. There's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, the Eastern religions, the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Of course, there's atheism, there's agnosticism. As you stand here today, which one of those systems do you believe best accounts for reality? Mm, that's a very, very tough question. Um, I grew up as someone who was, uh, I was really in the church. I was a Baptist Christian. Um, and like, I was really, really involved with it. Um, and for the majority of my life, that was the way that I viewed the world, you know, believing in Jesus Christ, believing in, you know, praying, basic, basic human being morality, right. Being morally right. Um, but as I've gone throughout my life and I've thought critically about the way that I see the world, I would probably say I fall more under, or I would say that atheism, I, I don't know, I can't necessarily say that it's more correct or would be the right way, the truest way um, to live life, but just the way that I live, I live my life. I try to do the right thing. I try to take care of myself, try to take care of my family, but I, it's hard for me to believe in different systems that you can easily find contradictions within them. And most of the major religions that, at least the ones that I've studied, there are major holes, major contradictions, um, and just di things that we have, we can't measure, we can't quantify, so that we have no explanation for it. Stephen, when did that happen? When did you go from being a Baptist to an atheist? And what was the thing or things that caused that to happen? Um, well, it started early on in my life, but I kind of denied it. Um, so I was really, really young. I'm not sure my exact age, but I want to say I was between four and six, something like that. And I was, I was laying in my bed and I was just thinking about, I was thinking about the afterlife and the things that I was taught. And I'm um, just thinking about the possibilities. Like, yes, there, I could live my life the way that I want to live my life. I do everything right. I pray and I go to heaven. That is a possibility. Um, but then also thinking of the possibility that it could just end, abruptly be over. Um, that really, really worried me, confused me. And it made me think about the duality of the situation and how different it could easily be. I'm, I'm curious, did you ever at that time express your doubts to your folks? I did not, um, especially because my mother is very, very religious. My dad is a little different. He's a little more on my side, but he still actively goes to church. He, um, he believes in Jesus Christ. I would say 
my personal view, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. But I do believe in a higher power. I do believe in energies, things like that. Why? Because it makes me feel safer. I mean, honestly, that's the best way I can put it. That's not necessarily the right way people should live their lives. But that could be a placebo, you no, know? Absolutely. I, it probably is, Um, in all honesty. But it prevents me from losing my mind, thinking that mm. it's not a fruit. I'm not, I'm living my life for nothing. Mm. Um, You know what I mean? So just believing that if I put out positive energy, that I will receive positive energy in return, but not doing it because I'll receive positive things in return, if that makes sense. That's really the way I live my life. So I live my life off of the basic principles that I learned from religion. That is where I live my life. So treating others the way I want to be treated, things like that. But I don't believe in every single principle and every single thing that it, that we're taught in yeah. basic religion. Yeah. You're more of a philosopher than you perhaps realize, because I, I actually agree with you that the idea of nothing beyond our existence, this book here, can you read the, read the cover there? 13 reasons why you should not commit suicide. I think that's probably one of the chief reasons so many people of your generation are taking their lives. It's like, this is it? There's another, there's another reason I think so many are so depressed. It's that postmodern worldview. Because you're told in classes, literature, Hollywood, just let people be. Don't disagree. Everybody's right. It's just their beliefs. So you're told that objective truth doesn't exist. But when you bought that backpack and they said, that's $49.99, you didn't say, my truth says it's $7. And more than that, morality comes into play. You're told, don't ever condemn somebody's worldview because everybody's right in their own mind. But you look at Nazi Germany and you go, man, there's something inside of me that says that was objectively wrong. And I think there's a lot of dissonance that goes on inside of your generation because of the worldview that is being fed to you, not aligning with reality. Let me do this, Stephen. I think I can prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists. Not energy, God. All right. If I told you 13 reasons why you should not commit suicide by a guy named Todd Friel, hey, wait, that's actually me. Yeah. But I didn't write this. <laughs> it didn't go to a printer. It wasn't laid out with typeset. It just fell together over the course of billions of years. And look at that. I'm holding it in my hand today. And it actually is intelligent. It has information that I can actually receive. So there's thousands of letters here in the correct order that communicate something that can be received by somebody like me. And it just happens to have my name on it. You'd tell me I'm nuts, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Sound a little crazy. I think that's what evolution is. What is evolution? What are you saying? That everything came out of nothing. Somehow with a lot of time, it got organized. And now here stands Stephen, intricately designed way beyond any booklet. I think that's crazy. I mean, our existence itself is crazy. Yeah, everything that we do. As just as you know, there was an author because you've got a book. If you've got a, a building, you've got an architect. If you've got a painting, you've got a painter. If you've got a creation, you have got a creator. That is true. But then my question to you is, so then who created the creator? That's a fair question, too. If you follow that, and Aristotle did asked that question, and he concluded it's an unmoved mover. In other words, if we have time, space, and matter, there has to be something or someone, if you will, that's beyond those things. There must be an infinite if there's a finite. So we know there's a finite. We can conclude that there is an infinite. In other words, that creator has always existed. But I'm just basically following the philosophy that you use, that there's always, there always has to be cre be a creator for something that is created, that still doesn't answer who created the creator. Ultimately, the buck has to stop somewhere. 
Otherwise, you have something called an infinite regress. And then you would say time chance is your infinite, as opposed to an intelligent being who has existed eternally created something finite. That's just logicking and reasoning. And just as you know, somebody wrote this book. You can conclude somebody made the trees, the animals, the plants, and made you. Now the question is, who is that creator? That's where my indifference comes into play. Now, by the way, there are other ways that you can demonstrate that God exists. For instance, Stephen, if I said to you, was Nazi Germany and the extinction of six million Jews, additionally, millions of others were killed, homosexuals, black people were killed. Are you willing to say that was wrong for them or that was objectively always wrong? Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. You just admitted God exists. How so? Because if there is not a moral lawgiver, there's no moral law breaking. Think of it like this. You're driving down a country road. You're doing 85. There's no speed limit sign anywhere. The authority, the government has not told you you can't do 85. A farmer sitting on his front porch says, slow down, sonny. And you're just going to yell back, no way, old man. That's just your preference. But if there's a sign that has been posted that says 25, to do 85 is now breaking the law. Reason backwards. We know some things are always wrong. Molesting children, beating up grannies, exterminating Jews, black people, homosexuals. We know that those things are always wrong. Therefore, there must be one who has determined the standard of right and wrong. There must be a moral lawgiver. Otherwise, everything in life is a mere preference. Todd, oh, stop, stop. All right, I hate to keep doing this to you, but we do have to take another quick break. But we will be back with more Witness Wednesday on campus at Kennesaw State University on Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. MSNBC host Joy Reid is speaking nonsense again. We don't need to ask ourselves if the international response would be the same if Russia unleashed their horror on a country that wasn't white and largely Christian. I would probably phrase that a different way. I think people are concerned about Russia's invasion of Ukraine because it's a horribly tragic event that is destroying so many lives and could potentially have future impact on our lives. But you know, that explanation doesn't have enough racial tension for Miss Reed. Yesterday, the Florida Senate passed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which prohibits teachers in kindergarten through third grade from teaching children about gender identity and sexual orientation. The U.S. Secretary of Education said in a statement that the bill was hateful. Uh, you know, I would beg to differ, Mr. Secretary. The bill actually protects young children from being indoctrinated with things they're not even old enough to comprehend. The fact that the U.S. Department of Education desires to sexualize children, that's what's hateful. And here's one that's pretty par for the course. The son of the head guy? At Elevation Church, I can't call him a pastor, but the son of Stephen Furtick was recently praised and applauded by his father and mother for creating music and releasing an album for sale. Here's the issue. That album is littered with references to oral sex, underage drinking, and gun violence. 
Furtick, though, said in an internet post that he was proud of his son and inspired by his music. Not sure which part inspires him the most, but look, this kid is a teenager. You can't really put the blame on him, but the fact that his mother and father, who believes he's a pastor, publicly praised and celebrated sin, and as I said in the beginning, it's par for the course. Alexandria, Virginia. It's a suburb of Washington, D.C., and they recently received a fair amount of pushback for their announced intentions of hosting Abortion Provider Appreciation Day. You honestly can't make this stuff up anymore. I mean, the stories get wilder and even nuttier every day. What even remotely screams, you know what, this would be a good idea. Let's have an entire day of appreciation for every single person who murders babies. It's just plain crazy. Okay, so this takes baby murder to an all-new evil and disgusting level. In Maryland, new legislation being proposed by Senator William Smith contains language that allows babies to be murdered not just inside the womb, but up to 28 days after they've been born. So basically, if you have a child that you suddenly, you know, just don't want anymore, as long as it's within the first 28 days, Senator William Smith believes you can just abandon the baby, you know, to starve or freeze to death with no penalty for you. This is real life, folks. This is tragically real life. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpreting Scripture. One key principle of hermeneutics is the analogy of Scripture. If God is consistent and the Bible is God's Word, then the Bible is consistent. We can then use Scripture to interpret Scripture, understanding less clear verses in light of clear verses. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we're back here on Wretched Radio. It's a Witness Wednesday. And Todd's on campus at Kennesaw State University. He's been talking to a young man named Stephen. So let's get back to Todd and Stephen, who were last discussing morality and where it comes from. Todd? There must be a moral lawgiver. Otherwise, everything in life is a mere preference. But who's to say God is the one who created these morals? Who's to say, because there are some people who don't necessarily align with the moral compass, the general consensus. So who's to say that, let's say, even though it's playing devil's advocate, but it's probably not right for me to say, but let's let's say that it was society, in society, it was okay to molest children. That would be the moral consensus so who's to, you know what I mean? So yeah. you can't, who's to say that God is the one who created the moral? That, that's, that's the coherence understanding of morality versus being able to observe what is just right and wrong. You're right. There's the correspondence view or there's the coherence view. And you just described the coherence view that if a, if a society gets together and says, it's okay today to club small children. Now I'm asking you, observably, is that right? No. Therefore... There must be something that has informed you in your conscience to conclude that ain't right. But that is because of my personal experience that the things that I've read, the things, the the thought processes that I've come to, this is not necessarily a thing that I just woke up one day and that's what I believe necessarily. No, see, but what you're citing, though, very fair points, but you're kind of you're citing some pretty wild exceptions. You go to a cannibal island. Even the people living there aren't nuts about the idea of being eaten by another human being. We have this consistent conscience inside of us. You know it's wrong to club small children. Ask anybody on this campus. Nobody's going to disagree. Where did that come from? I would say that that is a God-given tool inside of every human being's brain 
that is called the conscience to help us know there's right and wrong. And I think there's a reason for that mechanism. I'm doing bad things. Seems to me I should have to give an account for these bad things. Your conscience warns you that there is something called justice and there there's a punishment for wrongdoing. And I think it's God given that he's given you a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong and to serve as another function to get your attention. I'm going to do that right now with you. The creation speaks to you right now. The creator is preaching a sermon to Stephen. He's telling you, I exist. I'm big. I'm creative. I'm powerful. I communicate because you communicate and I'm no less than you. So creation is preaching to you right now. So is your conscience. Every time you've lied, did you think that was right or wrong? See, that's a tough question. Well, you can justify it, but you know right. that lying is wrong. Yes, yes, lying. Have you ever lied? Yes. Have you ever stolen anything? Yes. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Yes. Have you ever dishonored your parents? Yes. Have you ever been angry at another human being unjustly and maybe said bad words about them? Unfortunately, yeah. Have you ever desired something that didn't belong to you? You would prefer you owned it instead of somebody else? Yeah, envy. Mm -hmm. Regarding that creator, have you ever taken his name in vain? I have, yes. Do you know what I just did with you? I ran you through some of the Ten Commandments. But those laws are written in your heart. And your conscience bears witness to that. And your conscience right now should be telling you, Stephen, I've done bad things. There's a creator. I've got this sense of justice because I see it everywhere. That's why we have police. That's why we have court systems. That's why we have punishment. That's why we have jails. And I have a funny feeling I'm going to be guilty before that creator. That's the conclusion you should be coming up with due to listening to the sermon of creation and your conscience. I agree. And when I was and like I did say that I do believe in a higher power. It's just when we discuss it as some some big man sitting up on a throne above us is when I start to get a little I'm like, eh, I don't know if I believe in that. I don't believe in certain aspects of it. But I do agree with everything that you said. Yeah, there is a I definitely have a conscience. I definitely know right from wrong. All right. I want I want to take you back to being four or six years old right now, yeah. Stephen. You said you were kind of a Baptist Christian. All right. Then tell me this whole thing that I presented to you about your conscience sinning, committing crimes against God, justice, a sense of guilt. What does Christianity say is the solution for that conundrum? Repenting and attempting to prevent yourself from committing those sins again. So repenting means stopping sinning and then and not doing it anymore. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. Let's say you and I, we're, we're partners in crime. We both get busted. We get called before a judge. He's got all the evidence. And we say, Your Honor, we're going to repent. We're not going to do that anymore. Is the judge going to say, you're out of here, boys? Absolutely not. So that's not going to cut it in God's system of cosmic justice. That's one of the pieces that I don't agree with. Yeah. That's one of the contradictions or loopholes. Yeah. This actually grieves my heart because I don't think most Christian churches tell you the most important thing that you need to know to have all of this stuff make sense. And sometimes because we put it up in nurseries and it's little cartoons, we got a giraffe sticking out of a bathtub boat. You know, it all looks like fairy tales and what have you. The Christian gospel makes all of this fit together. It answers the question, why am I here? 
Well, how am I supposed to live? What's my purpose? Where am I going when I die? How am I supposed to live? Who do I follow here? I think the Christian gospel answers it. And here it is. God is one person, or he's one God, rather, in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You remember that? It's a bit of a, a mystery to us because, huh, three persons but one God. That's the way the Bible describes him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and I have broken God's laws. And just like on earth, there's punishment for our crimes. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. Damnation, going to God's penal system, hell. For that lying you mentioned you've done, the stealing, the lusting, the dishonoring parents, he's keeping a record. The books on Stephen are meticulous. And he's going to call your name and your number one day, and he's going to open them up, and he's going to see you're a guilty criminal, and your wages is damnation. But... God is rich in mercy, and he wants to save really bad people, not good people, bad people. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to be born of a virgin, to live under the law, to keep all of the commandments, to redeem those of us who are under the curse of the law. You see, the, the, the law right now is your schoolmaster. It's got you condemned. And Jesus fulfilled the law, never lied, never lusted, never dishonored his parents. And then he didn't get grabbed and beaten and put on a cross. He volunteered to do that because something judicial was happening. Something justice-like was taking place. The Father was pouring out the wrath you deserve on his son so that your court case could be dismissed. So that even though you've committed crimes against God, because justice will have been satisfied, the fulfillment of your crimes, your punishment, has been paid by Jesus Christ on your behalf. And they probably didn't tell this to you either. Not only that, the Christian gospel says, you know all the good things that Jesus did, all the times he didn't sin like you and I did? He gathered up an account of righteousness, and he offers to give that to you. So that not only can you be forgiven by God, by your creator, but you can be made righteous and not just seen as a forgiven criminal, but as the citizen of the millennium, because you get Jesus' goodness credited to your account. That's the gospel. And it makes sense of everything here. Why we're here, what the purpose is, how do I deal with this guilt? I know that God exists. Who explains all of these issues of life and death and the afterlife in a holistic way that's coherent? I think it's the Christian religion that does that. So now, here's the question. Is what I just said to you true or false? It is true that it does explain everything very well. But did it actually happen the way that I've described for you? I have no idea. And that's where my, <laughs> you know, because my opinion on it is that anyone could have written these things. I don't know how they would be able to explain the afterlife so well, so well detailed if no one's come back from it. I mean, as far as I know, there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible that I've read personally. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation. But OK, so the story accounts for reality. Now, that should be an argument in its favor. Because the other systems don't quite put it together like this in a way that is internally and externally verifiable. I can't answer that. I'm not I'm not too knowledgeable on the Muslim faith or Judaism or Buddhism or any of those. I mean, I know generally how they go, but I'm not sure if it's as neat. Just for the sake of brevity, 
they don't have Jesus in the centerpiece as a way to have your sins forgiven. You've got to work your way to God. And we know that we can't do that because we know that we don't do enough good to outweigh our bad. And Jesus tips the scale for us. Those are work systems. Christ is a grace system. In other words, you can be forgiven not because of what you've done or helping your family or being a nice student, but because of what Christ did on your behalf. That's radically different. All the other systems say, Stephen, you better clean up your act. You better work really hard. And maybe you got a shot at this. Christianity says, no, you're dirty. You're unclean and you can't clean up yourself. But Christ can and he will and he does. And you can know you're forgiven because of what he has done. That's grace. Mm, that is grace. And I'm going to interject here or interfere. That's probably the better term. I'll interfere again because got to take another quick break. But when we come back, we will return to Kennesaw State University where Todd will conclude his conversation with Stephen. You're listening to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. And now, <clears throat> and now... Another great story from Cindy Marty of the Tomorrow Clubs. A mother of a Tomorrow Clubs child who's a university teacher, she just got saved because her daughter was going to the Tomorrow Club. And now she's bringing the gospel into her university. Over and over and over again, we hear those stories and we never grow tired of them. Eastern Europe is being impacted by the Tomorrow Clubs, kids meeting clubs, The kids come, they learn about Jesus, they sing songs, they pray prayers, they get some snacks, and they get loved on, they get saved, they bring the gospel home to mom and dad, they get saved, then they bring the gospel. It's like the shampoo commercial, and so on, and so on, and so on. Would you please consider supporting your own Tomorrow Club? It's $30 a month for 30 little disciples. It's having a massive impact in Eastern Europe. You can do that at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. How would you like to be considered the second smartest person on the planet behind this guy? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But what I'm trying to say is becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner is one of the wisest decisions you'll ever make. Gospel Partners Media is a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning all financial gifts are tax deductible. But other than that, why should you consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Simple, because it's your gifts that help us create compelling gospel-centered content that reach millions of people all over the world. And we're members in good standing with the ECFA, the financial accountability folks who audit our books yearly to keep us transparent and accountable to our gospel partners. And 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. So, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us at Gospel Partners Media? Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get complete details. We think it's one of the wisest investments you can make. Wretched.org slash donate. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, affordable, biblical, health sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% 
of the members of MediShare, give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God. God is just. Since he is the standard of right and wrong, every judgment he makes is right and just. He rewards good and punishes evil. The good news for sinners is that the just God offers to justify you through the atoning work of Christ so that your sins are punished on the cross and Jesus' righteous deeds are accounted to you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back here on Wretched Radio. So, I know you're hanging on the edge of your seat. Is Stephen going to stop pushing back? Well, let's find out. Let's get back out to Todd on campus at Kennesaw State University. One last thought for you, my journalistic friend. What if that Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God, who claimed to die for sinners, ascend into heaven, what if he did something that was irrefutably miraculous that would demonstrate he is the one whose voice you should listen to. That would be great. Yeah. Here it is. What is it? <laughs> well, there's there's multiple examples. Um, I mean, But the biggie. No, sure. Go ahead. A guy named the Apostle Paul said this. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we're fools. Okay. If Jesus didn't rise, from, then I'm a Christian, obviously. I, I'd be a fool because he didn't do what he promised to do. He promised he was going to die and rise again in three days. And the Bible describes that's exactly what happened. He died and rose again three days later. That was the exclamation point on his promises that he is God. Now, I know what you're thinking, my journalistic investigator. How do I know that actually happened? How's about hundreds of eyewitnesses saw him die, three days later saw him alive, and none of them recanted because they knew it to be true with their own eyes. In other words, it wasn't a blind faith. It was an eyewitness faith. Why would hundreds of people go to a brutal death based on a lie? Now, I know what you're thinking. There's other religions where people do that. You're right, they do, because they believe somebody, and they go, you know, he seems like a credible guy. But you put a gun to the head of 11 men, and you tell them, recant or you're going to die. If they just believed what they were told, somebody's going to give it up. The 11 disciples that were alive after Jesus, all were brutally killed because they saw him and they wrote it down. And you're now going to say, well, maybe they, maybe they, it's been changed or maybe they were lying. Why would they lie? Yeah, I don't necessarily think that it's lies. I just, I want, not that I want to believe, but I do believe that over time, especially like, you know, the, the example of playing the game of telephone over time, information can be changed, information can be exaggerated, all kinds of different things. I'm not saying that these are not historical events that didn't happen necessarily. I just, it's the belief in them happening the way that they are described and providing the evidence that they're supposedly provide. That's where my indifference comes from. Here's the difference though. Tele- the telephone game is an oral tradition. You say it to him, she says it to him, and then by the time you get to the end of the classroom, it's all goofed up. And We've all done that game. But that's not the Bible. The Bible's a written transmission. But essentially, it could be the same way. Like, okay, let's say it's for my betterment to to preach the gospel, for me personally. You you were one of the apostles. You wrote down whatever you were. You wrote down your accounts of what exactly what happened. But for me, I would 
you know, it's a business in a lot of ways. Re- religion has become a business, as bad as that is, in my opinion. I could eventually exaggerate your accounts to make it more fantastical, but also it gives you something to grasp onto, like, wow, that really happened. So, uh, yes, it's not oral, but it can still be, it's the basic principle of the way the telephone works is really what I'm saying. You know, I can't totally contradict that because there are people who do that. But you would have to ask a couple of questions regarding the Bible. What would be their motivation? Their, their, their wages for their lies, if they were lying, they got killed. Okay. Yeah. Furthermore, why would what they didn't get rich? They didn't benefit a thing. They got thrown in jail. They were beaten and flogged. Why would they do that? You have to ask what the motivation would be. Okay. Now, w- one thought just for you to consume. You'll have to kind of trust me on this. I can guarantee you through a field of study called textual criticism that the Bible is the most accurate book in antiquity. Okay. Here's why. We have copies, thousands of them. And we have them near to the events that they took that they happened in the same century, within decades. We have those manuscripts. Caesar's Gallic Wars, we have less than a dozen manuscripts, nine hundred years after Julius Caesar existed. Nobody questions their accuracy. The Bible was written within the same century, and we have about fifty six hundred partial or complete manuscripts. It's been tested, it's been tried. It is one hundred percent now listen carefully. 100% accurate what the original authors wrote down. Okay. Now, that, however, doesn't make it true. There's a difference, and you're tracking on that. Now, what is it going to take for you to believe that what is written in those books is true beyond a creation that's been given to you to intuit there's a God, a sense of morality in your mind that tells you there's a moral lawgiver, that there is a God who wrote a book that is seamless in presenting the same story from beginning to end, the death of Jesus Christ so that your sins can be forgiven, the miracle of the resurrection, eyewitnesses with no agenda other than to tell the truth that they saw with their own eyes. What is it that would keep you from saying, it's credible. It's actually true. Just my personal experience with God, with the church. I mean, really, there's just those two majority. I'm just so you're a Christian, man. You know, I've never and I was in the church my entire life. I've never been able to speak with God. You know, some people claim that they have. They've had God speak to them directly. My personal experience it's never happened to me. Dude, I've I'm so on your side. I don't think that happened. I've never been hit by the Holy Ghost. Um, I've never been able to speak in tongues. I know some people that can or whatever, but just a lot of the different things. And then like I also brought up before with the business aspect of it, a lot of people are profiting off of it. And that makes me just feel like, mm. but like I said, it's not that I don't believe certain aspects of it. Like I live my life based off of the principles that I learned from the religion. It's just certain aspects of it that I can't, I can't wrap my head around. That's really all that it is. Let, yeah. me, let me just leave you something to think about today. All right, you're obviously a thoughtful guy. All right, that would be like me finding some of your friends from like third grade who turned out to be slugs, and then I saw them and I went, "Ah, Stephen, I don't think that he actually exists." You'd go, "Wait a what? Wait a second. That just their bad behavior doesn't change the reality of my existence, nor does it change your character. It just means that they're bad friends." Or bad acquaintances. Same thing is true in the church. You got some bad followers. You got hucksters, which Jesus warned about. False teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. He told you they're coming. You've met some of them. 
that doesn't mean Jesus isn't true, all right? Those experiences that you're talking about, you've got something better. You've got the Word of God that from beginning to end tells you who God is speaking to you through creation, through your conscience, and through the written Word, and through people like me, not because I'm a prophet, but because I'm telling you what the Bible says. So God is speaking to you, Stephen. It's not some mystical thing where I hear God. He doesn't operate that way. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his people. He speaks through creation, and he speaks through your conscience. That's a lot of communicating that God has done to get your attention. So don't set Jesus on the shelf because you've had some bad experiences with some crummy people. Judge the claims of the Bible based on their own standing, not on some of the bad behaviors of some of its presumed followers. Fair enough? That's fair, yeah. So as you go... You've got the rest of your life in front of you, right? And you're going to do just fine success. You, you will. You clearly will. You're going to do just fine. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Stephen, would you sell me one of your eyes for a million dollars? No. Two of them for 10 million? Nah. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Your eyes are just the window to your soul, and you wouldn't sell me your eyes for millions of dollars because they're precious to you. Your soul is precious, and it's precious to God. And while I know this is something that you've perhaps rejected in the past, right now you've heard everything that you need to know to be reconciled to God. And the Bible says there's really only one reason you'd reject it. It's not because it's not defendable. It's not because it isn't true. It's because the Bible says you just don't want to. It's, it's not a knowledge information. It's a morality issue. We desire to live our own ways, kind of an autonomous self, make our own decisions. We like things of the world that we just know that if God is acknowledged, I'm going to have to stop doing things that I like. And so the Bible would identify your issue as a sin issue, not a knowledge issue. Man, I would hate for you to reject this offer and die in your sins and meet God, he's going to give you what you've earned, and it won't be pretty. But this day, he offers you life. And note this, this isn't just a threat, because it is a threat. You'll go to hell. But this is more than that. God died to save you. So you should put your trust in him, not just because you might be afraid to die and go to hell, but because he's been so kind to die for you to save you from hell. And you can know that God. And you can be in a relationship with that God. So it's an offer of good news. And all I can do with you, because I can't make you do anything, is encourage you. Would you just think about it today a little bit more than you maybe have? I think about it all the time. But yeah, I'll think about it a little harder. And I don't know what your issues are that, that you might be wrestling with. Listen to your conscience. Listen to the sermon of creation. And listen to the offer of the gospel. And God will bring you into a right relationship with him. And he's going to clean you up in ways that you didn't even know were crooked before because he's got better things in store for you. Fair enough? Fair enough. I can agree with that. Better things in store indeed. Well, thank you so much, Todd. Such a great conversation with Stephen, a fine young man. Let's all be in prayer for Stephen. Pray God will open his eyes, open his heart to all of the truth that he heard today. That is unfortunately going to be all of the time we have for this Witness Wednesday. We will see you back tomorrow. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.